Again, we talking about some witches all over the place. Waffle House witches, Cracker Barrel witches, man and woman witches, church going witches, preaching witches. Hello? Hello? Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. This is Ro. Where have I been for the last six plus months? Well, it's a long story, but in short, life just happens. And a lot of life has happened. I had to have a surgery. I caught COVID again for the second time. I had some stuff going on in the family that we had to get taken care of that just kind of popped up out of no place. Um, I started a new job. Everything is beginning to settle back into place right now. I'm still kind of crazy busy from here to there, but I'm going to try to get shows out. Um, again, I don't know how often I'm going to try to put one out. I've got some that are in the works right now. It's just a matter of sitting down and picking dates and things like that. So, you know, I got the itch and said, well, I've got some time here. I've got some time there. Let's see if we can make this start working again. I find all this kind of ironic because the last podcast that I put out or something that I put out was months ago saying, no, I'm not fading. And then promptly I disappear off the face of the earth. So yeah, anyways, so I'm going to put this out here right now. This is um, a warning as I do like to put warnings for stuff at the beginnings of the shows to let people know what they're getting into right off of the bat. This is a sort of political oriented show. And if you're somebody who's not into politics like myself, or if you're somebody who loathes politics like myself, or if you're somebody who gets triggered by political talk in one direction or another, etc., this probably is not the show for you. And if you turn it off and you go listen to something else or whatever, that's why I'm letting you know this right now. So I don't want to get like a million emails for whatever views that I put out there because I loathe politics. I really do. I don't... Um, I'm not a political guy. I don't like fighting over this kind of stuff or whatever. But because of the type of content and the context of what my guest's book is about and the other guests that I have on the show, I just feel it appropriate to put this out here in front right now that we are going to be having sort of political-oriented discussions. I don't like to dwell on them very much because of how I am, but we do talk about this stuff. So if you're somebody who's triggered by stuff like that, be whatever your political views are, this may not be the episode for you. And if it's not, 
that's cool, whatever, I get it. That's why I'm letting people know up front right now, this might not be the show for you. For this week's episode, we have author Tomas Prower coming onto the show to talk about his new book, Warrior Magic, Justice, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World. Tomas's other books have included Queer Magic, Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World, seems to be a reoccurring title here, and Lisenta Morte. Coming on the show with a co-host with me is Michael Hughes, who's also written a book very similar to this, and he's been on the show several times. He's a good friend of the show. He wrote the book Magic for the Resistance, or Magic Resistance, which deals a lot with, um, again, using magic to affect political change. And as if fate would have it, Michael also wrote the foreword for this book, and I said, you know what, it'd be pretty cool to have these guys on at the same time, because they've both written similar kinds of books, but told from a different standpoint, whereas one person's telling the story of use your ability to go up and affect change, whereas Michael's taking a more backdoor approach. But both of these concepts work together in the context of what they're trying to do. So I figured, you know what? It's Pride Month. Why not have a gay author on the show, kill two birds with one stone and get it all taken care of? So what follows is about, oh, an hour long interview where we kind of go all over the place just talking about various things. And admittedly, my interview chops are a little bit rusty because I haven't done this for a while. I'm also using a different recording setup. I have like a little miniature recording studio set upstairs at my house um, with a whole different configuration. So I was like, well, let's try this out and see how it works. So we're going to jump into the interview. And as I always like to say, I will see you guys at the other side. So, tonight we have Tomas Prower. Uh, you have a new book out called Warrior Magic. You have written several books. Uh, one of them is Morbid Magic, one of them is Queer Magic, and now you have War Magic. Warrior Magic is justice, spirituality, and culture from around the world. And you do a very thorough job of going completely around the world. How they practiced war, the spiritual beliefs, the things they pulled out of it. Were you trying to write a trilogy of books when you did this or did this just all fall together the way that it did um no i had no intention of writing a trilogy i got started in the the llewellyn pagan writing via my book uh santa muerte unearthing the magic and mystery of death and it was like it was a big hit so they gave me carte blanche to pretty much do whatever for next which is nice to not be pigeonholed and and you know i remember i was at a i was at a pantheacon party this one of the social hours you know cocktail in hand and i was looking around i was like my god because before this i had never been involved in the pagan community and suddenly i was thrust into it by having that moon symbol on the back of the book and it was just like this community is so gay oh my god <laughs> and i thought you know what i said look there's no real gay books for the community back then Aside from Christopher Penzik's like gay witchcraft, I'm like where's the trans people? Where's the non-binariness? Where's everything that's not gay males? And so I wrote the queer magic book, and that just become what I've been <laughs> writing since with no plans, just whatever I feel. You know, my time as a mortician, I was like, oh, I need to write about the death things, Let's do the death around the world. And then 2016 happened, and I was like, oh, I need to write about warfare and revolution because we're not responding to this properly. And there's something, there's other stuff on the horizon, but Definitely not a trilogy and definitely not planned. <laughs> so I would assume with with the the pandemic hitting and people being stuck indoors 
and there's this big glut for media or something to do. And I noted that a lot of the magical community and the pagan community just kind of hunkered down trying to work their magic, for lack of a better term. Um, and people got more and more drawn into that. So how much did the pandemic play on you doing this or did it have any effect at all? It had a um, secondary effect, really, because I started writing the book and I got it, the ideas for it and pitched it to Llewellyn and got it accepted before the pandemic ever happened. This was late 2018 very early 2019 when that started and started writing throughout 2019. I mean, the world was on fire as much as it was back then, but then in the middle of writing 2020 happened, which drastically increased, um, I guess the want or the need for the book and the direction of the book. So it completely changed it. It wasn't inspired by it. And then Lord, everything else that's been happening since pretty much. But um, the most, I think the most telling thing that happened was, um, the, ins the, the quote unquote insurrectionist movement of patriots, um, storming the Capitol in Washington. When that happened, Lord, that it, I got letters from our editors, letters from Llewellyn, because the book before it was published as it is now was a lot more pointed. It was a lot more grab your sword. We're heading out and we need to take this back. But there was a lot of worries with Llewellyn and um, editors saying, um, what if after this, it's going to be bad press. We can't say that. So go through the entire book, cut out any calls to arms, cut out any things that might be perceived as violent. And I was like, Ugh. so the, the now book is a very watered down, softer version of the, the manifesto that it once was. <laughs> the manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I always give um... – my boy Michael here, Grief, I remember when he released his book, which was Magic for the Resistance. Um, and I remember way back when you did it, Michael, that you were this this limelight had been shown on you. And all of a sudden, all of these articles started popping up saying <laughs> um, witchcraft um, against the president and, and this whole thing about armies of witches rising up and doing magic and having these group spell summonings. And then I remember that articles were appearing about how churches were having midnight, like four hour, six hour midnight masses to have <laughs> prayer services to counteract the the nights that the magic practitioners, they kept referring to it as witches. And I remember you were like, I'm not a witch. I mean, this is all fine and great, but I'm not a witch. <laughs> and I remember sending you messages like, see the shit you started here? Look at you did this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I just got lucky to <clears throat> to kind of put the right words in the right place at the right time, because clearly this the, this reaction from uh, pagans and witches and occultists and magicians was was brewing. I I just got lucky to to put the words up in the right place and and capture the attention, but but you could feel it. I mean, I, I could I could feel it um, bubbling up. And then I loved I loved the fact that that the fundamentalists reacted like they did. That was that was kind of the intention from the get go was to tweak the uh, tweak the fundies and freak them out and get them riled up and and worried and and fearful. Um, that was that was part of the plan. So that that part worked great. I was I was delighted. <laughs> I was delighted to know that people that the uh, that the fundamentalists were, were just, you know, crapping their pants in fear um, that, that that, you know, all these wicked witches were coming after them. It was beautiful. 
So, question for both of you guys, being that we have the crazy pastor out there uh, ranting on stage in his church about witches being in his church, would you guys describe either one of yourself as a Waffle House witch, a Walmart witch? <laughs> or... Do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, don't, I haven't heard that. I do I, not I know, know the guy, but I haven't heard the Waffle House or Walmart witch. Oh, yeah. He goes on stage ranting about how he's got, in front of his congregation, that he's got names of, I think, four witches, first and last names of witches that are in his church. And then he goes off on this tyrant about different kinds of witches, and I believe uh, Waffle House and Walmart witches were in his rant. I don't <laughs> quite know what a Waffle House witch is, but, you know, if she's out there. <laughs> but um, my point is, is that Anytime somebody takes magic and people who practice these different pagan ideas or whatever these things are and organizes these people and says, all right, now is our time. We all know that we're out there. We all know what we do. Let's all get together and let's start doing what we do to try to affect change. So, Tomas, when your book came out and I saw it, I'm like, yes, I'm I'm all about this. This is something that I that I could get behind and this is something that... I really, you know, I, I really believe in because no matter what, you can take away people's guns, you can take away people's rights to organize, you can oppress people so much. But when it finally comes down to it, you can't take away a person's beliefs and, and what's inside of them and what they believe and what they practice. They can say, yes, I'm a Christian or I'm this or I'm that. But what they actually do inside and, and behind closed doors and what they practice is a totally different thing. So it always comes down to, yes, you can take all this stuff away. When it comes right back to it, you can't stop the spiritual leaders, uh, people behind these movements and things. So, Tomas, have you gotten any kickback or anything like that? Or, or have you experienced any of this? Or what has been your response since you've put this book together? I I was surprised in that this is the first book where I've had thus far no negative feedback from it from the public masses. I've gotten a, just a lot. Of, I'm, I don't know why <laughs> I was expecting. I was bracing for it, because especially with queer magic, you get all the the homophobes and all the is and, you know, those monsters. The yeah, but when magic. you're buying a book that's called Queer Magic, you kind of have to expect the content that's on the inside. Like if you're not if you're not gay and you're buying that book and you're getting angry about it, it's kind of like, why did you buy the ticket to go for the ride? <laughs> oh, these these aren't people who bought the books. These are people who saw it on like an Amazon list somehow and just were ranting about it in their own personal blogs or their own, you know, reviews that were not verified through purchase people that just go on and on. I was expecting a lot of that with Warrior Magic because the book is extremely pointed and it is very much no more love and light. Um, we should have no mercy, no compassion for a society that actively crushes people and penalizes them for not standing up or penalize them for standing up. And it, this book was no mercy. Let's attack. Let's get it. Chop the tree down. Burn the root. A country that was established by people who owned people and would be shocked at electricity probably should not have – their ideas should not be taken to truth unto perpetuity. But no, everyone has been very much supportive. Like, yes, take it down. Wear the guillotines. Eat the rich. Just so much love and support from everyone. I, I was surprised. I was expecting a fight, but this is the most supported book so far, which is good. I'm like, glad. Thank God. You got a lot of support off of what you did, too, Michael, didn't you? I think you had a pretty positive kickback from it. 
Yeah, for the most part, um, the the witch and pagan community in particular. But we had we had people from all across the spiritual spectrum taking place in the Trump binding Catholics, Buddhists, Jews, um, you name it. I mean, it, it it was it was impressive to me. Uh, and I I always kind of targeted it as an ecumenical spell from from the beginning. I wanted anyone to be able to do this ritual, anyone who felt compelled to try to stop the nightmare that we were seeing unfolding um, after Trump's election. I welcomed anybody. And it was great. You know, it was great to know Christians were they would just change the words a little bit and, you know, put Jesus in there um, and atheists and agnostics were doing it. It was great. I mean, my my goal was to get people to get a taste of ritual and that was really the most rewarding thing so most of the feedback was very positive i did get the death threats and things that i expected um but that that's just par for the course i'm sure tomas knows from from all of his books and um coming out that that you just you just expect that you expect those idiots on their blogs who have never read the book to criticize it what um what what i was shocked by was the number of Wiccans in particular and um, other witches who were just like, you can't do a binding spell. You can't do do harmful magic against someone that's going to come back to you threefold because of the threefold law and blah, blah, blah. And I, I just laughed. Uh, you know, as, as, as you said, I'm not a witch and First of all, the those rules don't all, apply to you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So so enjoy your rules and be afraid to do what I consider defensive magic and in in defensive things that we care about. And I thought most pagans and Wiccans cared about the the, the planet, their brothers and sisters, their trans LGBTQ family. Uh, but but apparently they were just too scared because of that threefold law that's just going to come back at you three times and stick to you if you dare to do something defensive. And I, I, I just found that absurd. But to be fair, what you were doing wasn't causing harm. It was restraint. You're not, yeah. you know, which is you guys are different here. You like, whereas Tomas is like, let's go to war. Let's do this. You're like, you know what? I'm with you on this, but I'm just going to restrain this person and let them let their own demons eat them up or whatever. Same concept, yeah. different approaches, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, the, the Trump binding was a binding spell. I was very specific and thoughtful about that because I first, you know, I mean, what if what if he had just, you know, what if some lunatic had had shot him um, and then suddenly hordes of people are, are blaming me from doing that for doing that and it just i just wanted to be thoughtful i wanted to be careful i wanted to do the maximum magically but also not frighten off people um you know i i did wonder if the secret service might potentially show up and i thought wow that would be the best publicity ever if the secret service <laughs> knocked on my door to come after me for 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 cursing um cursing the president but i have to say in with with tomas on the line and his perspective might be a little different than mine but in my book i you know we did a a full-out curse uh a hex on the nra we're doing a hex on uh, vladimir putin right now i have no i have no qualms against doing 
really, really strong defensive magic when circumstances dictate it. Um, we might have di differences of opinion on, you know, actual physical fighting and violence or something like that. But I think as far as magic goes, I, it, it, any sort of extreme situation, if someone, something I care about, if children are being mowed down in schools and the NRA is not doing anything about it, and in fact, they're actively supporting the gun lobby, the gun industry, um, I, I say hex the I don't know if I can curse on the show oh, or go not. Go ahead. Go for it. Hex the Shit fuck. <laughs> hex the uh. fuck out of the NRA. Um, white supremacist, hex the shit out of them. Like, don't hold back. These these people want to exterminate my family, my loved ones, people I care about. Uh, so no mercy when it comes to that. Tomas, your, your book, it covers all of these practices from all over the world. And I do mean all over the damn world. You go everywhere in this book. You go to Australia. You go to Northern America. You go to Southern America, um, Asia, you know, all over the place. How did you go about collecting this amount of knowledge? Do you have, like, plants all over the world that you can just, you know, get a buddy you can bug up, you know, like in, in Australia and be like, hey, you know, fill, fill me in on what you guys do over there. How, how did this come together? Kind of. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Um, kind of. Um, I've lived all over um, the Western Hemisphere of North and South America, so I have a lot of contacts there. But I also previously used to work for the French government, so I do have a lot of European contacts. And through writing the books, um, especially queer and morbid magic, which are that around the world, um, you gain the fandom of people who reach out and it's like, hey, I I'm in this place. If you ever write another one, contact me. Like, I'd, lo I'd love to participate. I'd love to help out. So you get that. Plus, you know, with the blessing of the insanity that was 2020 was that I'll, for the first time, a lot of the paywalls behind academia, knowledge, you know, first of all, knowledge should be free. There should be no paywalls behind all that. But for the first time, information was granted to the public for free. And I took advantage of that wholeheartedly. And I got so many more resources than I've ever had, so many more academic sources and then con just you know the shamelessness of contacting people be like hey i'm writing this book these are my credentials i'd love to be a part of it or i'd love to have your opinion on this um it's that it's that american saying if nothing succeeds like success because when i first did queer magic ain't no one was responding to me they're like who what maybe no but now, <laughs> you know but now that i'm like quote unquote official it's 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 terrible i'm like okay reach out now like oh my god yes let's do it you know and you kind of have to just bite your tongue on that and say okay this is how i need you to help me but, yeah, yeah. I, I have to i have to say i was so impressed with with the the breadth and the depth of all the research that you did it was it was eye-opening to me and you know i've 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 tried to immerse myself transculturally in these practices but i i, I was just blown away so congratulations on just mining so much information i yeah high praise i i appreciate that it's it's good and i'm glad people are loving it it is tricky because ever since I set that precedent in queer magic, I have to get something from every single place. You know, it can be hard finding things in sub-Saharan Africa. It can be hard finding things in Mongolia and Tibet, but you got to do it. 
with every culture you have in here, you have a thing where you talk about the culture, what their beliefs are, then you have a takeaway. You know, this is what I got from these people. This is what I got from those people. Is there any one culture or like a series of cultures in the book that really affected you the most that you found something different about? Like I asked this question because I'm always fascinated by how other cultures perceive and work magic. Like you never hear about Vietnamese magic. You never hear about, you know, Peruvian magic or anything like that. You always hear about Wicca. You always hear about witchcraft. You always hear about Enochian. This is, as your book shows, this is a planet-wide thing. This is something that happens everywhere throughout all cultures. Everybody has their own way of working this stuff. So going back to the question, was there a particular culture that you found more interesting? Now, I'm, I'm also going to stop you because I don't want you to use the idea, the, the thing of La Santa Morte because I think you're a practitioner of Santa Morte. Uh, outside of Santa Morte, was there anything else out there that really struck at you? That's a long question. <laughs> a very long question. Um, <laughs> but I think um, there were, I mean, for Warrior Magic, there was a lot of different... Um, there's a lot of different ones that come to mind right now as they all compete to try to bust through the door of my mind to get one that's really good. Um, but I think the one that's winning out right now and really sticking out is um, in sub-Saharan Africa, there was this belief in dawa, which is essentially kind of like an anointment or a potion that they've used for millennia, these tribes, particularly, I think, in the Congo. And it was a belief that with the mix of vines and sap and just things native botanically, they would um, be anointed with it on their foreheads, and then they would become immune from projectile fire in this warrior magic. So they could go out and, you know, throwing javelins, bows and arrows, like it wouldn't affect them, or the trajectory would be magically skewed so it would never pierce them. And they wrote this thing in it went on until like the 1960s and 1970s and um, Che Guevara wrote about it in his diary, which was because he, you know, a complete atheist. He's like, what is this bull? What is this potion that they are putting themselves on? You know, there are bullets now that are killing them and this doll was not working. What is this magic? It's stupid. What are they doing? You know, it's completely deriding them. Um you know, and then, you know, he writes later on in his journal, like, thank God for Dawa. And I found this amazing because it's 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 the magic of the placebo effect, possibly, in that he acknowledged that he doesn't believe that Dawa works. But if he went on a crusade to tell them that this magic doesn't work, then the revolution against imperialism would fail. Because when you're at such insurmountable odds and it's a David and Goliath fight – you need every bit of belief to believe that you can win because if you don't believe you can win, you've already defeated yourself. And so Che became a big supporter of Dawa because with this potion that was, you know, they're still getting killed by bullets. They believed they could win and they fought more fiercely and they were able to push back and win just because of the magic of Dawa. Now, did it happen actually or did this magic happen because they just believed in it and it gave them the strength and courage? That was the magic I found more fascinating because it, a lot of people say, well, is it real? Is magic really happening? Is it all in the mind? And the thing is, what that taught me was, does it matter? It's working. Yeah. Whether you call it this kind of magic, whether it's happening this kind of magic way, quote unquote magic, it's working because these people are using it and they're winning and that is magical. And so that kind of skewed my perception on magic and how I accept it, which really impacted me. 
you have a, an affinity for the Polynesian people, do you not? Um, I I would say specific affinity more than anyone else, but I, I'm fascinated by all, all the world. And I try to include them because I rarely hear about them anywhere else in these magic books. That's why I brought it up. You, I've heard you mention before, I think another podcast, about some kind of a, a, a tattoo rebellion or something like that. Could you clue us in on that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Tattoo Rebellions of Tahiti. Um, back because, you know, tattoos are, are in the Polynesian culture. It's not just, you know, for vanity or, ooh, I have this life. I fell in love with someone and put their name in my arm or anything like that. <laughs> or I'm going to have this cartoon character that I love emblazoned on my thigh. No, it was kind of like a mark of honor. It was a badge. It was something you won. But also it was something that it was a living story because they didn't have a written alphabet. So through these tattoos, you tell the story and you explain things to people. So when you know the French came over to the Society Islands, they said, oh, no, we need to stop this. Essentially, book burning. No more tattoos on anyone. You need to erase your history. No more of that. And so it became this big underground movement in Tahiti during the colonization to get tattoos and then hide them and then sh secretly share the story through living flesh one generation at a time so that the ancient ways, the ancient knowledge could be passed on in secret. Um, and then so it became this kind of like knotted clue or like a password where if you showed your tattoo to someone and they showed you their tattoo, they you both knew that you were both in the resistance together. And it was very codified. It was it really was the main thing that helped preserve Polynesian culture through these tattoos. It was this tattoo, not a violent rebellion, but a rebellion of, you know, a big F you to the system and keeping traditional aspects alive. Yeah. Through these tattoos that disappear. You have the same kind of thing that happens in Nordic history because um, Vikings are all the rage now. You know, there's Viking shows on TV and movies and all of these kinds of things. But in truth, most of their history of that old was destroyed when the Christians came through. So the only thing they really have left are the sagas, and they base their history off of the stuff that are in the sagas. And they're not even entirely sure how much of the stuff in the sagas that were true. But you see with, with Nordic culture, there's this very strong grasp to try to grab that history back that was taken away from them. And you're also seeing that happen with the magic community where you're seeing a lot of um, like um, Nordic uh, magic practices and books like this, things that have been found that are now beginning to be republished and put back out of the market and stuff. I'm, I'm very guilty of having six books on Nordic magic sitting here on the shelf next to me. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the symbology and stuff in there, I've got a lot of Nordic um, um tattoos and things like that on me which has backfired against me immensely because not really thinking about it at the time i'm a bald guy i've got a beard um and i've got these nordic tattoos i've got a vegvisir and some runes and a couple other things and without realizing it, i pretty much made myself the poster child for like white supremacy aryan biker guy <laughs> without meaning to <laughs> but you know, a lot of people, people that know me just know I'm, I'm just not that way. Um, but I have had to explain, I, I was at a Home Depot with somebody in line. It was um, an African-American gentleman, and he kept giving me like kind of like this weird side eye and stuff, but he wasn't talking to me. And I had a sleeveless shirt on, and then I'm like, oh, shit, this guy probably thinks I'm a skinhead. And I look over, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? He's like, hi, and he's staring at me, and he goes, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a racist, that's... That means may you never become lost, and those runes are my mom's name and my kids' names, and blah, 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 this is this. I'm like, none of this is what you think it is. But I felt really 
I, I felt just as uncomfortable as he did, but in a different way. And then you see these white supremacist rallies where these people have co-opted that stuff and tried to make it part of their culture. And now the Norse pagans are very fiercely fighting back, saying, no, this is ours. You can't have this shit. The Nazis already did it once. We're not doing this again. And again, I go back to what talking about with you and Michael was like, you have this counter uprising of these people that believe this stuff that are fighting back and all of these different ways to try to reclaim their culture or see, make sure it's not co-opted in racist and bad ways you know but unfortunately the media really doesn't cover that the media just covers here's this guy walking down the street with a sign and a tiki torch looking like an inbred idiot and people see those symbols and they go oh, that that that's that's white supremacy so yeah it sucks i'm not really sure why i went off on that side tangent but hey <laughs> i no, guess it was I, the tattoo I, thing I, I mean i feel for you because I, I do know a lot of you know norse pagans who are just the kindest most accepting reasonable people and mm -hmm. it's it's just unfortunate that a lot of their a lot of their symbolism did get hijacked by these these white supremacists and uh it's i feel for you like uh it happens I, you know yeah yeah i'm not actually myself i'm not even a norse pagan i just mm -hmm. i just love going to all these different I, I guess i'm i'm guess i'm co-opting you know all these beliefs or whatever but in my mind it's kind of a chaos magic kind of thing i like that i like that i'm going to use this i'm going to use that as long as i'm using mm -hmm. it for the right things and i'm not doing stupid stuff with it you know like i don't i don't see anything wrong with it back to you thomas in the book you talk about australia which is you talk about the aboriginals how I hate saying the term, how does their magic work? But did you pull anything out of their practices? Because you don't really hear about Aboriginals. Um, Aboriginal, Aboriginal Australia is probably one of the trickiest places because it's because when we think of magic here in, in the U.S. or at least in Western culture, we have a very strong idea of it, like manipulate forcefully manipulating the natural forces of the world to bring about some intended result. Yes. But um, for many cultures around the world, especially Aboriginal Australia, it's it's just part of daily life. So they don't really see magic as magic. It could just be existing. It could be getting up and walking. Um, so it's what they consider magic isn't magic, what we would call it. So, but one thing they have is this idea of um, a <laughs> super complex idea of the dream time and everything's interconnected uh, though a very gross vulgar way of describing it, which does not describe it as it needs to be but it's kind of like a multiverse it's parallel universes existing simultaneously um with everything you do but with it everything is connected so nature becomes an ally so a lot of times in their magic um or at least their warrior type magic they really use the the devas of the land the spirituality the the natural terrain which helped them you know when the british came because they <coughs> the british were logging things and just taking things down for pastures and building up cities and just destroying the land and they use the land against them but you know aboriginal it's it's and it's sad why there's not much about aboriginal you know quote-unquote magic or spirituality i mean it's and i even say it in my book it's colonialism there has had such a big impact that the majority of um native aboriginals who practice their old ways are very are a lot lower there are more I think in percentage wise, um, there are more Aboriginal Australians who are I self identify as hard Christians than there are white Australians who identify themselves as hard Christian. 
it's because, and I've, I've run into this problem with morbid magic, queer magic. Um, the aboriginal sections are the most controversial because the aboriginals go against it saying, especially with queer magic, we've never had queerness in our history. That's never happened. No. I don't Those know about lies. that. <laughs> Those are lies. But, but that's where it is with us, with this and a lot of especially sub-Saharan African and Middle Eastern cultures. It's the history has been so skewed that quote unquote native history is really based on colonial teachings of themselves and bringing it back. So when there's a resurgent nativist movement for resurging, taking back our history, a lot of it has so been erased that a lot of the pieces are put together with um, modern sensibilities. I, I remember I got into it once with Queer Magic with um, this group in sub-Saharan Africa who was upset that I um, shamed their tribe by saying, you know, there, there were queer men in it throughout history. And having, you know, the receipts of academic journals to back it up. And they're like, that never happened. But after all the back and forth, you get down to it. And, and their answer is, well, because the Bible said it didn't happen. And I'm like, that's, your, that, that, that's the native response to anti-colonialism that the Bible said it? Wow. I'm like, what kind of – how do I answer that? How do I possibly go against that? But there's a lot of that. I was always um, under so, the impression that it was not uncommon to have – tribal shamans be bisexual oh the world over the world over but it's you know when history gets erased and it's this it's a weird situation we're in now where a lot of foreign and a lot of western academics are trying to bring back um the queerness the morbid history the more violent aspects of a culture to try and get the truth and um because some of those things are shameful or some of those things are not accepted in a very conservative light a lot of nativists are very against it because it will bring up that there is queerness is here that they were once um violent warriors and now they need to and now through modern stigmatization you know the bad evil warrior you know the bad quote-unquote indian and westerns um they want to be perceived as more peaceful so bringing up a history even though it's true if it brings more negative light upon people it's better to not show the negative light and have an alternative history that better facilitates the political needs of them today it's, it's it's very complicated, and it is very tricky and very sensitive. I never would have expected something like that, especially like with everything that's going on in the world right now, even with First Nations people, um, to to try to oppress to try to oppress that warriorness. I don't know if it's a, if that's a good word for it, but th that aspect of it to try to oppress that by their own people sounds. That's not something I would have expected. Like none of this it's, is. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely not universal. It's not everyone. It's it's just you get certain pockets and um, people who are usually the most vocal and active. Um, and it's and it's tricky because like with everything, the the truth is kind of subjective. Um, if you were to say queerness of this, it, when you try to explain it. How does that work? Why are you talking about the native form of queerness? How do you translate that when there's no words? Are things being translated correctly? Does it help? Is it more important that the current fight um, be better and for modern aims better than history? Where's the given pull? It's a, it's a tricky thing when you write these around the world books and you have to navigate that tightrope of yeah. what to do. But you can't please everyone. Yeah, I, I think I see that, too. It's sort of a natural inclination of groups, especially marginalized groups, to try to to try to brush some things that they're they're not happy about or or they, they don't want to be to be discussed widely, kind of try to 
brush that stuff under like like the the indigenous um, Americans in North America who were enslaving people. You know, you, you don't you don't hear a whole lot about that. But that's that's part of the history, too. Um, warts and all. And um, so I've 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 seen that, too. And it's like you said, Tomas, it's, it's very difficult because you want to honor you want to honor the people that you're talking to, but if you also want to tell the truth, even some of the truth that's maybe a little ugly and that that might be counterproductive to a a movement for indigenous people today, it, it, it's hard. It's it's a really it's a really difficult uh, tightrope to walk. And I think you, you again. Sorry to just keep lavishing praise, but I I think you did I think you just did a really good job of that in this book. I I appreciate that. I think one thing that really helped me in my favor for that was that I my own experience growing up. Because if you've seen a photo of me, I look straight out of Dublin. I am the Lucky Charms character put to life. The super redhead, <laughs> super short, super white. You know, but little fighting you know, Irish guy. <laughs> exactly, I'm the Notre Dame uh, uh, or Notre Dame uh, icon. Um, but no, it's you know, but I'm actually more culturally Latino in how I'm brought up. Um, so it's weird growing up navigating these different cultures and what do I say when I look one thing, do I pass for another? I can pass in this and this gives me certain advantages. Should I say this? People don't know I speak Spanish, so they're speaking Spanish about me. People don't know, you know, I'm like genetically quote unquote brown. So when they say those people, like they're not, you know, don't know that I am those people. It's a weird in-betweenness I've kind of like grown up in and navigating the tightrope of cultures. I think that helped, but I think just also just being considerate and, you know, being kind and asking the people who live in those cultures, like, what is the best way to say this? What is the best way to get this across without being damaging and being willing to ask those of them, which I did for the books. And I think it it's as good as it can be. <laughs> did you meet any resistance when you were out trying to catalog this information? Did you run into stuff where people were like, no, we're not going to talk about this. We don't. This is something we only discuss with our own people. Yes, um, mostly with morbid magic, because with morbid magic, there's a lot of darkness rituals, a lot of funerary stuff, a lot of death. Um, and there's some secrets on the other side that a lot of them didn't want to share. And I remember my and it, it came from one of my um, people who I'm really close with, like I Facebook message very frequently, um, who's a member of the Navajo tribe, although they call themselves the Diné. Um, so of the Diné tribe in Arizona just they have this amazing amazing i don't know how much i can talk about it here now but they have this belief in a spiritual entity that is not supposed to be fully talked about outside of the tribe whether and there's conflicting reasons as to why because then it would then because only they have the power to suppress it so if everyone starts talking or utilizing or invoking them this demon will run loose upon society some people it's just cultural they should not be talking about it in general but there's this there's this evil entity that they talk about that was perfect for morbid magic and i was begging him begging him to let me write about it because it's not written anywhere for obvious reasons and at the end of the day he's like no nah, man no nah, i can't i can't do that i was like ah okay but that's that's probably the biggest resistance i've got other than that people just don't return your emails <laughs> it's very it's very they end it right there so to go in the other direction how much stuff did you get that you just couldn't fit in the book? No, yeah. Um, I know with Queer Magic, that was an intense book. It was 
an entire other book with the cutout clippings of it could definitely be written, uh, which might happen in the future. But with Warrior Magic, too, yes. I mean, there's so much stuff. My problem is that I write too much. Because for me, it's easier when they say edit, it's easier to cut than it is to go back, research and add. So I try to overload it with everything. Plus, I don't want to do the research phase again. When I'm done with that, I am done with that. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot more in the book that could be said. And I remember um, with War Magic in particular, I really wanted to get a lot more into um, the things that the Olmecs were doing, um, one of the one of the earliest civilizations in Mesoamerica. And just more diversified in different areas because this is such a around the world book and it's a thick book, but it's not like a some giant tome. So when I go around the world different places, I cannot hit every single tribe. So it's very selective in sub Saharan Africa. You know, it's Native America, Native North America, but it's not every single tribe. And so I had to make decisions based on regions of okay, we already have someone represented from the Pacific Northwest, the Southwest, the East Coast. You can't overload it with people all from the East Coast, even though they're fascinating. You have to give that regional representation to get the basic 101. So there's a lot of cuttings, different parts of India, um, different um, tribes in China before China became imperial. Just more specificity in the different regions. Um, there's a lot more. See, China is another one of those things where you really don't hear a lot about Chinese magic or, or what it is or how it's practiced or anything like that. The only thing you really get is when you go into the Chinese restaurant and you see the Buddha and all of the dragons and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> but you don't like I, I can't go out and buy a book on this is Chinese magic. This is what we practice. This is what we believe. This is we how we do our practices. I, I can't come across stuff like that. Um, well, you can, but it's just not called Chinese magic. It's called feng shui. It's called qigong. Yes. Um, yeah. And and it's I mean, the Chinese culture was just just completely immersed in in magic going back pretty much as far as as we can decode. Um, so, yeah, it's it's there. The, I, I uh, um, it just doesn't have the it, Western it, it, sensibilities that I'm used to. It, it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like that kind of Western magic, but it's just so, so deeply part of the culture that that maybe it's almost invisible. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do anything with this stuff? Are you going to make another book or are you going to incorporate it in the books later on down the road? Because knowledge not used is wasted. Um, it, it, no, I love that. It's true. That's very true. Um, yes and no. I have plans for other things, but um, a lot of clippings that get cut out, um, they get cross-cultural cross-cultural so a lot of clippings that didn't make queer magic showed up in morbid magic although in a in a death ritual way because a lot of a lot of queer um shamans were also the undertakers or the doulas so i could use stuff like that so i always have it on hand in case it needs to be added in future books um and then of course there's always the you know the capitalist aspect of it of if a book sells really well it can get a sequel mm -hmm. uh, you know the continued edition the expanded edition so i have everything on file just in case, but um, they do pop up when it when it's necessary without it being, you know, ham fisted. And here's this other thing for my books I didn't get to do because the editors cut it. You know, none, <laughs> none, none of that. None of that. If it's appropriate and it makes sense, it gets added. So how much of this stuff do you just have laying around? Are you and I've used this with other guests. Are you like Fox Mulder? Where you just have filing cabinets of all this cultural stuff and folders mm -hmm. or. 
No, I do have flash drives of it, though. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, no, I have a lot. I have like, cause I go, I go heavy into the research phase um, before I do anything. Cause then I know, cause then I can, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fiend for organization and planning. So I don't just kind of like write the book. I'm like, okay, do I, these are the regions I'm going, this is the order it's happening in. Do I have things from all parts of the region? Do I have this? Do I have this? It, can it make a cohesive whole? Can they all narratively fit together and flow? Um, so that, all that's planned out. And a lot of what gets cut is because it doesn't fit that flow or because it doesn't, or because I have to make, you know, regional cuts. So all that is definitely on a bunch of files that I have on different computers and, and flash drives. So you are a practitioner yourself, I'm assuming. Um, or do you not want to talk about that? <laughs> B? Yes. Um, I'm a definitely practitioner. I'm probably the, if I had, I like to call myself eclectic, but I know how much of a cop-out answer that is. I'm like, if it, if it works at the end of the day, I'll use it. Um, some people call that cherry picking. I call that utilitarian. But if I, mostly if you have to pin me down, I'm a devotee of La Santa Muerte but who also essentially lives their life according to Taoism. If I had to pick one thing that can be pinholed, it would be that. That would be my life. I'm a Santa Muerte Taoist. Yeah, speak, speaking of Chinese magic right there, right? I mean, oh yes, Taoist yes. magic is, is at the root of, uh, of a lot of, of Chinese magic, so very cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm an eclectic also, and I, I, wear, I wear that term with pride. Um, I've... I, I I take things that work. I use things that work. But uh, I'm and you. I'm sure you have addressed this as well yourself. But always very careful about uh, appropriation and miss, in particular, the misuse of of certain cultural magic and things like that. I was wondering if you had if you had thoughts on how you define appropriation. What is what is okay to use? What isn't okay? Um, my. My general standard for, especially in writing these books and talking about it, it, it's cultural. When you culturally misappropriate something, it's it's good to go in it. It's good to experience it. But the hard rules, if to give hard and fast rules, would be if it's something that has to be earned or lived through, then that is not okay to do. Which is why a lot of you know the eagle feathers are not okay in Halloween costumes because those are earned. Those are things you have to develop, and they're markers of achievement. And to just have it very flippantly um, looks bad. But, you know, it's okay to, you know, not be a person of Mexican descent and learn the cultural dances. Take a class, learn Spanish, learn a language, learn things. It's just if if you have to be earned or you're doing it in a very flippant way on purpose, then it's bad. But usually if you go into something with respect and kindness, you can feel where things are not okay and people will tell you and then just go ahead and follow their lead. How much of what you've researched has had an effect on your life in particular and what you practice then? And staying within the rules that you just stated, how much of this has changed how you do things? Not too much. Okay. <laughs> to, be really, to be really honest, not too, not too much. Um, I think, But I think a, a better way to say that would be it's um, no, you know, I've, I've walked that line of what is culturally appropriate, what is what am you know, knowing that even though I am part of a Latino culture, there are certain things that would not look good that I do because of how I look and how that represents the the greater culture and jazz like that. So it's I've been doing this for a long time, but I would say that 
it's it's really helped identify like what is important to people around the world and where are the certain values and things. So so likewise with the tattoo rebellions to bring it back around, if I really wanted a tattoo, I would not go ahead and go in and get a Polynesian tattoo because I know what that means to those people. I know what that means to the tribe. I know the history and cultural behind it of what it means. Um, I would not do that. It's just realizing what is value, what is important to people, and what, again, it with warrior magic, what they fight for. You know, if they're fighting for something for so long with these tattoos and that's what's kept the culture. And now, you know, you you want to be cool and you've had a you've had a rowdy night and now you're ended up at the tattoo parlor. And yeah, give me give me that tattoo looking. Well, yeah, the Polynesian looking one. That's going to be sweet, man. Right around my arm. Like mm, mm. It, the books just give you an aware, uh, better idea of how to judge what is appropriate and what is not. I see. That's what it's helped me with. So with everything that's going on right now, like. You've probably heard this a million times, but th this book probably couldn't have came at a better time. If anything, maybe a little bit sooner. But you've got what's about to go down with Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court. And when that happens, I foresee a lot of really pissed off witches and women, like, really digging down and getting dirty into things. And pardon the pun, but God bless them. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is something like, this book is made for these times. Like right now, I, I'm I'm 50 years old. Um, and I and my earliest memories are of the 80s, political wise and things. And I've never in my life seen political, social. There's so much turmoil going on right now. You have so much going on in politics where parties are being taken over you have fundamentalist christians that are becoming more and more, and more prominent and, and and seeking out grassroots areas and more and more and more of these things are beginning to chip away at the stones and the pillars and you're starting more and more to see people doing things like this like you know michael releasing his book was a sign of these times you releasing this book is a sign of these times and you know, I think people are going to start grabbing this and, and, and gravitating towards it and hopefully using this stuff. But I'm genuinely curious what's going to happen when Roe versus Wade gets overturned and the, the fallback, especially in this community, of what's going to happen with that. You know, it's kind of like, all right, well, what's going to happen now? You know, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering I'm wondering where all what is the next phase for this? I feel like I'm talking about a Harry Potter movie, but the magical practicing world um pagans etc call it whatever you will you know what's going to happen next on the table with this stuff where do you where do you see this stuff going um hopefully in a more intense and pointed manner i mean it is my opinion um we're reaping exactly what we have sown um uh, we don't we for generations not generations, but there for a long time people have not been fighting back We've been accepting things and we just what happens now is we get angry about something. We shout it for a while and we put on our faces. "Ooh, we're mad. We'll show you next election cycle. There are people who cannot survive to the next election cycle. Um, you know, the same thing like did Brianna Taylor, did her justice come? No, it's still out there. It's still happening. George Floyd, do you think those cops would have gotten arrested if people did not throw soup cans through Tiffany's windows? no. Um, so hopefully I'm hoping that people take more action and that um, magic is followed up with um, the fist, the vote and the wallet, which also are all very magical in of themselves. And that people take the streets and most importantly, do not stop. What are the people going to be yelling outside of Kavanaugh's office 
and then he does it, are they going to keep yelling at them? It's not – people know that no change is going to happen because we get angry and then we stop being angry after a while. And the powers that be know they'll just ride through it. Um, we have to not stop being angry and um, show them economically or with um, force. Economically is tricky because right now not a lot of people have the money to – like with gas prices and the job situation, you know, people as it is just aren't spending the money that they used to at this point. But, you know – yeah. I guess that I guess that kind of proves it further because it's like, hey, I don't believe in this. I'm not a fan of this. I'm not spending my money on this. A because I don't have it, and if I don't like it, I'm not going to spend my money on it. Whereas before, people could be more frivolous and stuff. I always feel that we live in this um, Starbucks kind of society where it's like, all right, you know what? Um, I'm middle class, but I can still get my Starbucks. I can still have my Netflix. I can still put some gas in my car. You know, I'm doing okay. I don't want to rock the boat, you know, because everybody's like, we're, we're, we're going to rise up and we're going to do this. And a lot of people look at them like, no, you're not going to do that. Because if you do that, you're not going to be able to get your 10 piece chicken nuggets for $5 anymore. So, you know, people get comfortable and just having the most basic of luxuries or things that they think they're luxuries. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully things will change. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that's out there. It's like, all right, well, we need to find better ways to do these things. We need to find different ways to fight back. We need to go above and beyond that. What's, you know, yes, we can take to the streets, but like you said, a lot of that stuff, it's, it's, oh, look, look at these guys. These, this is Antifa or what have you, you know, and both sides have their armies to do this kinds of stuff with, but it's a time now where it's like people need to start doing something different, you know, be it whatever it is. So, but, um, we're coming up on an hour here. Um, Michael, did you have any more things you wanted to ask or say? Yeah. I mean, I could go on for another hour. <laughs> go ahead. Ask <laughs> a few things. That's why, that's why I brought it up. That way, you know, you'd have some time to no. ask some stuff. Go ahead. No, not at all. But uh, about that last question, because I, I agree too. And, um, uh, one of the things I, I loved, uh, reading in Tomas's book is, is <laughs> this one little sentence says, don't lose your temper, use your temper. And I've run into so much um, grief over the years from people that believe that like magic is just late work and love and light. And if we just meditate correctly, everything will fix itself. And that's just not the way the world works. Um, and the idea of warrior magic, I think, is so critical right now that um, that we we don't give up. I mean, children are being slaughtered in the streets every day. There's another there's another you know, carnage in the streets just in Philadelphia last night on South Street where I've hung out and had wonderful times. People just moan down and we have to do something about it because we we can't let up, like Thomas said, because the other side are so entrenched in, in lockstep and what they're doing They're that we can follow the money, see where the money is coming from and we can. And our side has to stop um, has to stop just doing things the same way. The woman's march was wonderful and great, but after the woman's march is over, people go home, and these regressive authoritarian fascists who are who are seizing power and in control and holding the reins of power in so many ways in, in the United States. But it's a but it's also a, it's an international movement. I mean, that fascism is taking root e everywhere. So we have to do things differently. We can't 
stop. We can't just keep doing the same marches and going home. I might not agree on the violence. I'm pretty much a nonviolence guy um, in a lot of ways. But at the same time, what Tomas said was right. You know, if those if those soup cans weren't flying, if some of those um, garbage cans didn't break the Starbucks window, um, if the Black Panthers hadn't been marching around with with rifles in their hands, things would not have have gone the way they did. I mean, sometimes Martin Luther King Jr. said the same thing. You know, he's like, hey, we're doing the work nonviolently, but there's, you know, just it's it's a it's a short step to violence. And and we always have to keep that in mind that um, that we need to fight back. We need to use our temper, as Tomas said, not lose our temper, but use our temper and stay focused. So that that's my that's my rant. <laughs> the thing is, is that you guys both work. You guys are you guys are both doing the same thing, but from different ends. You have to have the warriors, but likewise, you also have the healers. You have to have both sides of the yin and yang to make it effective. So, you know, just because and if, if somebody is identified with going out and raging in the streets or whatever, there are other things that you can do. You know, but each each person in this battle has their place. So there's no real wrong way to go about it as long as you're as long as everybody's on the same team fighting for the same causes. I don't see a problem with any of it. It's just a matter of, well, if, if you're not comfortable going out and doing that, then you can do this. But just remember that you're all working together here for the same causes and the same things. And there has to be yep. harmony there. Yep. Well said. Good yeah. Point. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's played D&D or TTRPG knows, I mean, you need the warriors, you need the barbarian class, but you need the healers, you need the magician, you know, the wizards, you need everyone else, you need the bards to boost people up with the arts. Everything in the war effort is very helpful. It's like World of Warcraft. The raid falls apart if you don't have a good healer. (laughs) (laughs) Or a tank. Or a tank, exactly, yes. (laughs) You need somebody who knows how to tank and you need somebody who knows how to heal. So, all right, I'm going to start off with you, Thomas. Um where what books do you have out there where can they be found where can people find you if they want to talk to you um lots of books out there warrior magic's the most recent one the, the most prescient one right now timely the zeitgeist um, you can find it wherever books are sold i would say look for your local independent store first of all before going outside of it um you can find me on my website which is my name tomasprower.com but you could probably more easily reach me on social media twitter instagram Facebook, all Tomas Prower. And I'll say this before we go, because a lot of praise has been heaped on me. I have to return the praise because it's true for Michael. Um, you know, your book really started this. I don't think I could have published or gotten the contract to write Warrior Magic if your book had not busted those doors open and went through that glass ceiling of, yes, we need to be a little bit more um, assertive in our magic and make it political. So these books are the children of that for certain <laughs> See, Michael, wow. look at all the shit you caused. I tell you this all the time. <laughs> no, that, that that is a that is a truly humbling and kind um, compliment, and and appreciated. Uh, but but like I said, uh, I I just captured the zeitgeist. I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time with the right words. This this was happening. So any way that uh, that I I that I helped in that sense, um, I I am deeply. Really happy that that I could. Um, I um, I would just like to say that you know seeing your book come out and seeing the 
I, tr- I tried and um, and it was tough. I mean, Llewellyn, they, I don't think they would deny this. They were a little, you know, a little wary of uh, putting political books out. Uh, politics and witchcraft is a is a is a is a stew that they had ne- that they weren't familiar with. And uh, I'm happy that they took took a chance on me. And I'm happy that um, that whatever my book did helped in any way get your book to come out because I, I see what you're doing is just such a necessary and uh, and and cross-cultural i tried to do that but i i couldn't really do it that deeply within the constraints of uh of the word count so when i saw your book come out and i read it and uh, i i was just delighted because this is a you know we're, we're watching fascism sprout around the world and we're also watching the rise of of these resistance movements these resistance movements of of the oppressed of the marginalized people of the people who've been colonized and beaten down all these years and it's their time and i i'm just so grateful that that you you did such a, a wonderful job giving so many of the people around the world their their voice michael where can people find your books at and we're you know i've asked every time you come on the show i make it a point that like, where, where can people find you and what do you have in the works yeah well you can find me almost anywhere uh, social media website, uh, uh, YouTube at Michael M Hughes. And what I'm most happy with now, and my book is magic for the resistance rituals and spells for change also published by the well in uh, 2018. So you can find that every, everywhere too, anywhere you can find Tomas's book. Um, but what I'm really excited about right now, I just finally got my tarot course online and I, I honestly believe, because I've looked around, I think it's the most comprehensive tarot course available out there. You can find that um, easily from my YouTube channel. I publish some of the some of the modules from the course just so people can get a taste of it, see if it's it's something they're interested in. So that's my big thing now. So if you like what you're hearing, go check out the tarot course. All right, guys, if you both hang on with me for one second after I'm done recording here. Um thank you both for coming on here and doing this. I, I feel that I couldn't have got a best, the best possible combination of people on here to talk about using magic in a resistive ways that I possibly could. So it's a pleasure having you both on at the same time and being able to vibe about this stuff. Uh, thank you more, very much for both for being here. Uh, Tomas, keep me on the radar. So when you have something else coming down in the future, if you want to bug me and say, Hey, I'm, I want to come on and talk about this, please bug me. Uh, Michael, you already know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, well, I, I just want to say it's it's been a pleasure too, and it's great to see you uh, back in the podcast game. I've I've sort of missed your presence oh, on the you. the internet airwaves, and so it's it's great to see you back. And thanks for the opportunity. It's been a long time, and and thanks for the opportunity to connect with Tomas finally. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Thomas, any last words? Um. Keep on keeping on, and the fight ain't over yet. <laughs> Other than that, you know, what, what we, we, I think we've said it all. <laughs> all right. Thank you both very much, guys. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you. You too. You too. <laughs> Thank you.
So, not too bad of an episode for my first time back behind the microphone handling interviewing responsibilities in over six months. So, uh, big thank you to Tomas for coming on here, and big thanks to Luan for sending me a copy of his book. Big thanks also to Michael for coming on here and giving me a hand with co-hosting. He just seemed like the absolute perfect fit to be on this show because his book, as I said earlier, also deals with very similar things. And it turned out that these two had actually never even met before, just messaged each other through Facebook and through emails and that sort of thing. So it was cool to have these guys connect because uh, one wrote the preface for the other's book, etc. So um, it's nice to be behind the microphone again. I've been over on the Old Nerds Drinking Podcast with my buddy John which is a very different kind of a show. It's a very nerdy show. We do drink on there and we talk about nerdy stuff, video games, movies, just geek-oriented stuff. That's John's baby, and I just kind of sit in the co-pilot seat when I can. But here, I run everything, and which is recording, producing, running the website, reading the books, all of that fun stuff. And it's nice to be back here again. I'm going to try, as I said earlier, to be here as much as I can. The big problem that I'm facing right now is the company that I'm working for um, they they have a, they send me out of town a lot. I do a lot of um, representation for the company that I work with. So that involves sometimes being sent out of state, um, various shows and things like that. So the big trick now is, is nailing down dates to be able to have people come on the show to where I'm around on the weekends or I'm able to actually interview people. Stephanie Quick is actually handling some cool stuff in the background right now, and I've got a couple of irons on the fire that I've been wanting to get taken care of for a long time. So hopefully we can put this stuff together and nail down dates to actually be able to record these shows. But um, I do miss being here. So if you're out there and you've been somebody who's been with me through all of the trials and turbulence that has gone on with this show in the background and things like that, I appreciate it. It's uh, it's fun to be doing this, and I'm glad you guys are still here, and I'm going to try the best I can to keep this thing going. I just don't know how often I'm going to keep it going. Hopefully, I don't plan on disappearing for six months this time. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, it's like COVID's over with, and every, it's, it's like as soon as COVID got over with, life just caught up, and everything happened. And it was like, do I give up on the show? Do I just call it quits? And I honestly really was very, very close to just throwing in the towel and calling it quits. And for whatever reason, I get that itch every once in a while and I see a book or I talk to somebody or I get an idea in my head and, you know, it sparks things back up again. So hopefully I will see you guys again soon. Thank you one last time if you are still here listening and if you saw something pop up in the feed and you're cool enough to download the show. And um, this is Rojan signing off from Detroit. Talk to you again soon. Peace. Peace.